I encourage everyone to take a moment and breathe and take a tea cheers with a Jiri tea. A Jiri tea recognizes the beauty in shared stories and shared opportunities. Ajiri sources award-winning tea from Kenya, employs women in the region to handcraft the labels, and sends 100% of the profits back to the region to support orphan education. Save 10% on your order of Kenyan teas and coffee with the code BEAUTIFULLYHUMAN at ajiritea.com. A-J-I-R-I-T.com. Tea mugs up! Hello, and welcome to the Beautifully Human podcast. I'm Nick Sheesby. In this podcast, I speak with beautiful humans from all around the world, sharing with you their incredible stories, revealing the power in every human story to spread love and humanity to a world that is in desperate need of it, to show that we can all connect in beautiful ways, no matter where we come from or what we look like. What you will find out is that we are all beautifully human. Let's all be beautifully human. Welcome in, everybody. Thank you for checking out the Beautifully Human podcast. My name is Nick Sheesby, and my chat today with Nina is a pretty tough one. Uh, It's tough in the way that it's hard to hear a human have to handle as much as she has and overcome as much as she has in her life but it is a beautiful story that needs to be heard because she has overcome this and she is living her life in a beautiful way now. So enjoy this conversation and follow us on Spotify. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at The Beautifully Human Podcast. And again, just really dig in, enjoy this conversation. All right. So Nina, I'm super excited to meet you and have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for letting me come on. I'm super excited. Yeah, it's it's been cool. I've I am just getting in the swing of the whole clubhouse thing. So you are my first person that I've actually connected to off the app. So that's that's kind of fun. Oh, thank you. I feel blessed. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I I like doing these um this version of a podcast because you know I talk to people that I know and then I talk to a lot of people I don't know you are one that I don't know so I get to learn all about your life and help share your story so I'm very excited to get to know you and hear all about your story so I'll just start it off I love giving the big broad open way to start it off by saying just tell me about your life Oh, amazing. So firstly, let me say thank you because I reached out to you asking if I could use your podcast as a message, place to send my message to as many people as will listen to it and it applies to. So thank you. My life has been a really traumatic one, but the purpose behind that trauma, I feel, is so that I can help others and give them hope and give them an understanding that whatever they're going through, it's for a purpose and a bigger cause. And sometimes the things you do go through in life isn't really about you, although it feels like it's all about you, that you will get to a stage where you are in love with yourself to the point where you are overwhelmed with that love and you want to share that love with as many people as you can see, as many people as you can feel and touch. And 
get to the people that need you the most, the ones that are lost, the ones that can't find their way out, that need hope, that need someone like me to turn around and say, hey, whatever you think you're going through and you think you can't do it, I'm telling you that you can because I've done it. And regardless of whatever pain or trauma you're going through, pain is pain, trauma is trauma. And I'm letting you know that you have everything you need within you that you just need to dig around a little bit and believe that you can get to the other side. And I love I love that message. It's uh, it's such a, a needed message to hear. Like no matter what, if it's if it's something that's been inflicted on you or you've done it to yourself, you know my, my story is much inflicted on myself with my with my alcoholism. You know I brought that on, and you know so I deal with that consequence. But it's also a point of power to say you can take yourself to that edge and then you know move forward um so i saw uh, I'm, I'm going off all, all the from your profile in uh clubhouse and it said um six years ago that you were homeless um where were you when you were homeless yeah, so the situation was that I was in a very abusive relationship, um, the father of my children, actually. So it wasn't so much the happy ending or the happy beginning. It didn't really work out that way. I was actually running away from an honour killing and ended up with somebody that I thought was a friend that would maybe even turn out to be a partner. But it was a very mismatch and... You know, when you and get that feeling at the pit of your stomach, when you know something's wrong, but you make an excuse for it and people's bad behavior, we tend to make excuses for their bad behavior because we don't know any different and things become comfortable. So you just get along in life. But cut a long story short, I was removed from the house by social services, which is the name of the authorities here in this country after an attempted murder and it wasn't the first attempt on my life it was one of several but the problem with this one is that it wasn't just myself that my ex-partner had tried to kill it was our child as well who was 14 turning 15 at the time so it was a very serious matter and when things like this happen to you you think you don't have a choice you think you're stuck and there's no way out we were removed because my son was so brave. He spoke up at school and it must have taken a lot for him to say the things he did, but he spoke up watching years and years of abuse and he saved us from the monster we were living with. There's no other way of putting it. But the problem with that is not having any family or friends. We had nowhere to go. Where were we to go? Normally people have that support system, but we were so restricted with our daily lives that we had nobody. There was no one that I could turn to. And they put us into an, a temporary accommodation, which they give you for a short while. But as we arrived at the accommodation, I instinctively knew things were not going to be okay because as I turned the key in the door, I sheepishly looked back at my son to give him a smile as we do as, you know, as parents to say, hey, we've got this, we're gonna be fine. But I knew there was going to be bigger problems. And as I stepped into the um, carpet, into the floor of the apartment of the flat, it was 
the smell first that got to the back of my throat and then knowing that I had stepped into like a squelchy noise because the carpet was just covered in human urine and the walls were covered in human feces and it was not a habitable place for anybody but I kept telling myself hey this is better than where you were you're safe you've just got to get through it and it got to a point because my son suffers from an illness that living there was not an option and um as I said it's temporary so after that you're supposed to sort yourself out which seems unfair but that's the rules and not having anyone just made it very difficult so we found ourselves with nowhere to go man I so much in that um so yeah I just when they when they offered you this apartment in the flat like did they think this was habitable for humans yeah they don't they don't actually come in they leave you and go and you're not really aware of what you're supposed to take and when you're running for your life literally and you're in a panic you just do not think they gave us a couple of minutes to leave and I grabbed a coat. My son didn't even grab a coat. Um, so you really don't know how to get your head around the fact that you're never stepping back into your home, that this is the last time you're going to see it, and your emotions are so high and you are literally so scared that you cannot function and fear just stops you thinking. It really does. We had nothing and the apartment had no heat no hot water no electricity there was no way of keeping warm that night I took my coat off and wrapped it around my son I lay him down on the bed I tried to clean it as much as I could with the small tissue I found in my pocket and I sat in the other room it was really cold and I just remember holding myself and it was one of those cries that you you know when you're shaking because you're trying to cry quietly and your whole body is just shaking uncontrollably because you just are so desperately unhappy it was that kind of cry but I said to myself I would get us out of that situation because it wasn't about me it was about him I had to do it for him and that was my driving force if I'm being honest he kept me motivated he kept me responsible and accountable for my actions so I knew that I had to keep going and that's exactly what I did and I'll go on to tell you how we got out of that situation if that's okay yeah of course yeah we I believe in angels I didn't want to live in any of the hostels because they unfortunately were inhabited by adults and he was still a child even at the age of 14 15 he was still a child to be subjected to living in shared quarters with people who are struggling themselves like yourself with the alcohol abuse that you were which I totally understand and drug abuse but they needed help themselves and it wasn't necessarily the safest environment considering of the amount of abuse that we'd left behind so it got to a stage where we would just wander around and somebody that I knew from his school she didn't know me she wasn't a friend then she opened her doors to us and she said come stay with me I have spare rooms please don't do this you know let me 
keep him at least in my house. And I didn't think I deserved to have that opportunity for myself. So I knew that he did, but I didn't want to be separated from him either. So we both took this lovely lady, our angel, as I call her, I, we took her offer of help. And whilst we lived there, he went back to going to school. He was able to wash, stay warm, eat, which gave me the freedom to work. And I literally went from working for myself and running successful businesses to cleaning toilets or being a nanny or whatever jobs people would offer me, I would take because my goal and mindset was if I collect enough money, I can rent a place of our own and I can give him a home. And that's exactly what I did. It took me 30 days. And the reason I know it was 30 days because I said to the lady that we stayed with, she's like a sister to me. I said, I'm going to write down how many days I've been here because I want to pay you back. But it became a mental calendar. It became a mental account of how much I was given how much I was taking so that I could then pay that forward also to somebody. And when we did move into our new place, um, things weren't so simple. There was a, there were a lot of problems that, you know, with mental health and my son going from one traumatic place to another. Unfortunately, he really struggled with the change and, you know, it's a big thing to go through especially when you are suffering from a chronic illness. So life wasn't automatically perfect. You think that you're going to suddenly come on the other side smelling of roses, but it's like healing. Um, it's a really difficult process and it's uh, maybe you can resonate with this. When you're going through a change, it becomes really ugly and a struggle and you don't like yourself very much. You don't like people around you. Yeah. But you have to go through all of that to get to the other side. It's not a transition that's beautifully done. It's through pain and struggle that you do go through that. But when you do get to that other side, there's a calmness, there's a happiness within you. And there's that love that I keep talking about that's overwhelming. And you think, hey, I love myself so much. I want everyone else to love themselves. And if they don't love themselves, they can have some of my love. If they don't see the light, they can have some of my light. I want to do that for them because your purpose is obvious to you where it has never been along the journey. Yeah, it, it's so true what you said. You know, what you said is it's not it's not pretty. You know, you don't get from these really horrible situations that that you're in to a, a better place without massive amounts of struggle. You know, like it you and one like i love how you said it you know you just find that love for yourself again and you know that was that was a big part for me was finding that you know i i was very i was very depressed when you know when i was drinking a lot cuz i was that was all i was doing was drinking and um yeah so i i think it shows just unbelievable amount of strength to to do that and selflessly do that to know that like you're going to, you know, that you're going to get through this, but you're also bringing your son through this as well. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to say as well, that sometimes talking about mental health, because despite being strong, you know, I've got, I've got three children in total. I've got, um, I've got my daughter and then I have two boys, but 
the boys did struggle and they suffered more than my daughter because she left home earlier than they did to go to study. And mental health is something that I'm very, um, I have strong feelings about and I want to help people maybe see the signs that I didn't see. Maybe a neighbour would see it or a friend or a mother or brother could help their loved one before I could help. I think you have to understand that when someone is feeling at such a low point, they need to switch off from everybody because they can't hear their own voice. And the problems that we have with society is that we have these people telling us they need medical help, they need this if you don't do this. And they make you feel irresponsible as a person that you're not loving that person because you're not seeking that help for them. And sometimes they need medical help, don't get me wrong. But sometimes all they need is the most powerful component in life, the most powerful tool, which is love and time. They need to be able to find their own voice, to go through their own struggle and be allowed to go through it. Because unless they're allowed to go through it, they're not going to come on the other side of it and they'll be in limbo or it will be brushed under the carpet and then it will come back again. So at some point, if anybody's out there listening who's got a loved one who's struggling mentally, or if you're struggling with your mental health, allow yourself to feel whether it's pain, whether it's hurt. There's a lot of things I've blocked off in my past and I'm starting to accept that they've happened because they were so traumatic, I wanted to believe they didn't happen. And you lie to yourself, if as, as I said before, and you lie to others about how you feel and you put on this facade and the smile and yes, I'm fine, but actually your heart's breaking and sometimes you're feeling like you're not enough and that you can't do anything right. And people have told you that you're not enough, so you believe them. But you have to get to a point where you start to see your own personal power. And the only way to do that is to allow those demons to play with your heart and to almost play your mind to a point where your voice will start to overpower their voices. And once you're rid of those demons, you do come on the other side, a totally different person. Yeah. Yeah, you can't help but be a different person. You know, it's just it's just like, you know, on my side, it was just being me. You know, I was finally myself when I came out from that other side. So, um, I, I was I was thinking as you were as you were telling your story, um, when you started working again, when you were living uh, with your the your angel, um, yeah since you were taken out so quickly and you were getting away from such a situation, what was it, was it hard for you to find work? And like, I guess where I'm going with it is like with the, your ex that you were trying to get away from, was it, did you have to do anything with your identity or, you know, like how did that, I, I just, you know, like without him yeah. finding you. Of course, he's still looking for me. He'll always look for me. If you've been in an abusive relationship or if you're running away from a cultural honor killing, as I am, you're always on a list of people that want to find you. They want to stop you because of the fact that you may break the silence and the taboo of 
the relationship you had. And I've got to a stage where I am going to break the silence of a lot of things because I just need to. And it's not about me. It's about the people that need to hear it. It's about the people that are still suffering, still living in that mindset. But going back to your question, I had non-molestation orders, which in our country are basically a bit of paper by the law that say that person cannot come near you. It doesn't stop him talking to you. So if he sees you, he can say what he wants as long as he doesn't harm you. Okay. But if, as we all know, words are the most powerful tool that a tongue can deliver. And the intensity of some of the words that we used throughout my relationship was so much so that they hurt more than a fist in my face or being pushed down the stairs. Those things heal, you get over them, you walk away. But when words are programmed into your mindset, it's a real struggle to not have that fear, not have that belief that that person's telling you the truth because you start to believe what you're told. So it, I really struggled with work because everywhere I went, he was there. Mm. And I didn't change my identity, but we never drove the same way twice. You know, I had a little secondhand, really old, old car. It was amazing because it, it gave us a lot of good times, actually. But we didn't take the same route. And my son, you know, looking back now, I can understand why his mindset and mental health was, that you know, affected because he caught a bus from the school, but he was never allowed to go to the same bus stop twice. So, you know, the normal interaction that you would have with your friends on the bus and make friends. And he was constantly having to make excuses to people because he wasn't allowed to talk about it. Right. And people would say, why you, you know, why this, why that? And it was a very confusing time for any child, let alone somebody with an illness. So it was a real struggle. It was a real struggle. In the end, after a few years, the police just said to me and the judge just said to me you have to move over 200 miles because this we can't keep handing these out to you you know if, if I was seen or if he did see me he would try and chase me down in his car if he did see me he would physically push me and I was unable to prove that he'd done anything and to be fair I was so scared I would often if I saw him drive find a side road literally cower down hide and wait for him to just not come about. And I, and I used to ring in a panic all the time, ring my daughter or my son that was, you know, away, he was away at boarding school and I would ring them and I'd be so scared, so frightened. I remember running into the police station one time and they said, well, we can't do anything because he's not actually hurt you. But I was being chased down by him. So my faith, unfortunately, in the police didn't really go very far. So mm. my solution was to move to a big city where I could be anywhere and I could be anonymous. And it was the best thing for me. The thing that I didn't want to do was the best thing for me because it forced me to grow. It forced me to develop a new set of skills. And everybody said, oh, you won't find a job in London. You know, they don't do this. <laughs> but I don't believe in that. I believe that if you've got the will and the determination to find a job and you believe there is a job there for you, whatever the job is, and you've not got the pride you know you've got to put food on the table and you understand your responsibilities, you will find that job. And that's exactly what I did. Wow. I mean, I'll be honest, the 
I, I didn't even know anything about honor killings until this summer. I read a, I read a book called burned alive and it's a, a yeah. memoir about a woman who survived one. And I, yeah. I was just speechless every time I, re I read it, you know, and like just the sheer horror of life that I, I felt reading the book. I can't even imagine being a part of that, you know? And, um, so with your ex, was it arranged the marriage? No. See, um, what happened was when I was, I, I was born into an Indian family. My heritage is, um, Indian ethnicity. So I was born into an Indian family and a lot of Asians, and I'm going to generalize Asians because it applies to not just India, it applies to a lot of countries, not even just Asia, even Africa. Let's say worldwide, let's put this in perspective here. A lot of families don't want a daughter. They don't want a daughter, they don't want a girl. I had two older siblings who were boys, but my father still didn't want me because I was a daughter. So there was gender abuse from the day I was born. That just became amplified because I was told I was left in my pushchair, that nobody changed my nappy, that when people used to visit my family, they used to say, just leave her. And I would just literally stop crying. After a few days, apparently I stopped crying. I had a soiled nappy. I was unfed, but I just stopped apparently. And, I, you know, as a toddler, I remember eating soil from the garden because I thought it was food because I saw my mum gardening. But I was told by a grandparent that you don't eat that. It's not food. And I didn't know any different because, again, I was always wandering around looking for something and not looked after at all. So it was a real hard childhood. And by the age of six, I became my job was literally to come out of the room only when I was needed. And um, so I would come out and do the cooking, do the cleaning. I did all the laundry. If anything needed doing in the house, I would do it. And there was no love or interaction, no family unity with me, but I could hear them, you know, and I would sit in my room and listen and I could hear them laughing and I would close my eyes and my imagination and pretend I was with them and laughing with them. But in all honesty, I was ignored. I was unwanted. I wasn't what they wanted. So it's a it's a really traumatic and heartbreaking story, but often they're the stories that need to be told for people to understand how it is in certain cultures. And it's not religion, it's definitely cultural. And there was an arranged marriage at the age of 17. Before I got married, I unfortunately suffered rape from the same hands that are supposed to look after you, the same father that's supposed to treat you in a certain way. But it wasn't just him, it was his drunk friends that he'd brought back. And it's a situation of, there was nothing much I could do. Um, it's traumatic, but it happens. And it got to a stage where I wanted to kill myself. I didn't want to live. Um, which then led to the arranged marriage. And when I was married, the person I got married to didn't want me. He rejected me instantly. But his father was one of the people that had raped me. And mm. I instantly knew it was more of an agreement 
as opposed to an, a marriage. And for four years, I was in this home where I constantly was fighting to get away from my father-in-law. And I would plead with him to leave me alone. And I was 17, as I said, and by the age of 21, I was working in a really good job. I had an amazing job. I was earning so much money at that age and the money would go to my, you know, my in-laws. But around the corner, people were being set alight. People around the corner were being beaten to death. And I knew that if I didn't do the right thing, that would be me. Because people, when they had daughter-in-laws that didn't provide them with a, a grandchild, they would literally kill them. And then they would go and get another daughter-in-law because that's how vicious and the mentality was just crazy. But I left that home not understanding the intensity of my decision and I went back to my father and mother's house and as soon as I walked through the door I was beaten to a pulp they broke my arm my jaw they'd actually knocked me down to the floor and stamped on me to the point where there was not one piece of skin that wasn't ripped or had blood on it and that was the start of the honor killing and my brother I've got two brothers. One brother came back from university. I'd passed out. I had no idea what was happening, but he picked me up and put me into a room, a downstairs toilet, I'm going to be honest. And he locked the door and sat in front of it and told them to leave me alone. A couple of days later, I was told I was going to India by my father. A family, said, a family friend told me that if you get on that plane, you will not come back. You will never see England again you know, they will definitely kill you. And I knew that was the truth. I knew, but I didn't know what to do. I mean, what would you do? You know, what would you do? Right. So I could barely walk. I was in a real state. I really needed to go to the hospital. But I um, I remember very clearly my father stood and told me that we were going. And I said, I, I'll do everything you tell me to do because that's the way we've been groomed and we've been brought up to accept everything that you're given and, you know, understand that your parents know the best. You don't know any better than them. And from there, we, I developed a little mindset that I was going to escape and run away. And I'd run away from my father-in-law and I was running away from my father. And it just felt like the running was never ending. Uh, I made it to a park around the corner, literally 200 feet from my house. And I hid in this park and I could watch my father drive back and forth continuously looking for me. And I waited until it was dark. I had, I had nothing with me again. I'd left with nothing. Um, I sat there cold, crying, scared, very, very scared. And I felt very alone. I made my way to a taxi rank and said to the gentleman, please, can you get me to this address? Because I'd met somebody at work and he offered me a place to live. And he um, took me to this address and I couldn't pay him. But out of the goodness of his heart, he, he let me stay there. So that was me escaping the honour killing, escaping the arranged marriage. But unfortunately, as the saying goes, I went from frying pan to fire, not knowing what I was doing. Mm. But the positives are I had three amazing children. I have three amazing children. 
during the time I was with my ex-partner, he did things like he set my pillow on fire whilst I was asleep. He pushed me down the stairs when I was heavily pregnant with my son. And my son, he died at birth. You know, that was my third child. And I think that's when I hit rock bottom. And I think grief is something that is very difficult to understand and know how to override and get through. And, you know, until you accept grief, accept that you've lost somebody, a baby or a husband or a father or a sister or a mother or a grandparent, until you find that acceptance and understanding that they haven't left you, that they're still with you, they're still near you. If you believe in that spirituality as I do, that they are still around you, then you are allowed to move forward. But at that time, in that place, you want to say to the world, stop. Something bad has happened in my life, stop living. How can you all carry on when such a tragedy has happened? But no one hears you. So it's all in your mind. You're having the conversations in your head. But I had another one. I had another baby. I had my my son who's with me now, you know, he lives with me. And he gave me that desire to want to live again because I had given up despite having two children. I'd given up. Mentally, I'd given up. It's a, it's a really hard place to be, especially when you're, your child's not breathing and he's born and they're tell you that he's just not made it and you can hear other children crying babies being born crying in the rooms next to you in the maternity ward and you think did they not think to put me somewhere else because of maybe the circumstances where I'd come in because I was pushed but then I thought to myself you but you didn't tell them that you didn't tell them that you were pushed because you're protecting somebody that's caused this and your mind's just in turmoil, you know. But yeah. um, honour killings, I have to tell you, happen on your doorstep, Nick. They, you know, I was reading in the New York Post that a father last August shot both of his daughters. They were 13 and I think 15 because one of them spoke to somebody who was in a different, who was a different religion and he was scared that they would start dating and that would cause him shame. Mm. And because of the shame factor, he killed both his daughters. And again, in the same breath, a daughter who was aged 13 in a different country was beheaded by her father as she slept. How a parent can do that to a child, I Mm. don't know. And I'm telling you now, I'm, it doesn't change because my own father, my own father had a child out of wedlock. And the year that I left my partner in 2015, the police found me and asked me questions because my father had taken this six-year-old innocent child away from her mother and taken her to India, abducted her, and he killed her there. Mm. And the police couldn't prove this. The police could only prove that he'd abducted her. But they asked me the question, and I said to the CID, inspector I said you know the answer but you just want confirmation from me but you already know the answer and as much as I want to say I hold hope for this child I know that she's no longer with us and if you think about the fact that a child's dying every minute from a non-killing and you work out how many minutes are in a day Mm. that's a hell of a lot of honor killings but you'll never hear about them because they're just hidden 
It's a hidden agenda. It's a secret thing that is kept within a cultural society, not spoken about, but accepted. The dis discrimination against girls in general across the nation, across the world, is so much so that pains inflicted just because you're born the wrong sex. And because of that, your life's at danger. So honor killings is something I'm taking the lid off. I'm breaking the silence. I'm putting myself at risk knowingly. But if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Maybe more people come forward. Somebody out there needs to hear that they do not need to succumb to societal pressure from their parents, from their enclosed environment, that there is another life out there, there is freedom, and they deserve to live their life, not exist it for somebody else. That life can be beautiful, and there is a choice, and they need to understand that they can get help, that the choice is for them to make. It's not an easy decision, it's not. It's not an easy decision knowing you'll be alone and that you won't have that family and, and support, but you choose life over death, literally, and something does kick in when you want to live. And people will hopefully take from that and make that right choice and escape. Wow. I mean, I think it's incredible that you're taking it upon yourself to to be a person to talk about that you know because like you said if if not you then who you know like it, it starts with one person to start talking about something and then inspire and and make those ripples to to hopefully you know get somebody else out of that situation and then if they get out you know to keep helping people but wow that is it's unbelievable i i remember like i said when i read that book i just i was horrified and then you know to to meet you and to hear this personal story and then you know the, the story of the two the two that you brought up the beheading and everything. it's just it's just so beyond words it's How, inhumane it's yeah it's inhumane and i feel there needs to be more awareness and without awareness how can we expect anybody to help somebody else if you're not made aware of a situation and you think it only happens in India or Africa which is miles away from you let's take the pandemic for instance when it first came on the news we heard of it in China and many of us like myself thought well it's miles away it's not going to affect us and look at where we are now right so we cannot have that mindset that things are far away from us and they're not happening within our own neighborhood, our own family even. We need to open our eyes up a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think, in, yeah, that's a that's a perfect way to put it, you know, just in general with, you know, life, we need to, we all need to broaden our, our vision on what's going on in the world, you know, and yeah, a, a lot of why I wanted to, do this was to to share you know help help share stories that you know i i am i'm not privy to most of the time you know like i don't have that that story to tell so i i love being able to to help 
share that, you know, and have people broaden their mind to say, these things are happening in the world. And just because you think it's happening somewhere else, some other continent, some other country, doesn't mean you can just put it out of your mind. Like we all have to actively work on these together, you know, and especially starting with like yourself sharing your story and, and letting people know that this is, this is real and this is going on all the time. Exactly. And I think Nick, people often turn a blind eye and they say, well, what can I do? You know, how can I change it? I can't change it. There's, I've got to look after myself and look after my own and you know, what, what can I do about it? And there's a lot you can do about it. You can just talk about it. Talking about it brings the awareness more so to the mindsets of others. If you go and tell your neighbor and the neighbor tells somebody else that, oh, I heard about honor killings, they're terrible. And there was somebody talking about it. You may look out and see somebody being treated really badly at the minute. In the Middle East, we have Princess Yasmin who's being held hostage against her own will by her father. I don't know if you're aware of this, it's been in the news. She's a princess, um, you know, one of the United Arab States. Of, and she's being held basically in a basement, I think, against her father's, well, against her will. But she's been posting things and her friends have let that footage go to the press because they're concerned about her safety. And again, it's something that's a controlled environment that you probably can't even infiltrate, but she's asking for someone to help her. She's begging for someone to help her escape that life because it's not a life she chose. When you have a child, you bring that child into the world and you're a responsible person for that child's safety and well-being and you are not to inflict pain upon somebody whether it's a child or any person especially a child for the gratification to what other people expect of you or what they may say of you and your reputation it just doesn't equate in my mind how that makes sense the fact that my parents were prepared to kill me because of the shame that I'd left a marriage. When how many people leave a marriage in society now? And does that mean you stay in that relationship like I did for 23 years because you're programmed to believe that you do not leave your partner and you are subjected to life-threatening behavior that you then decide and mentally accept as normal? until you step away from a situation and someone says to you, he consciously lit that lighter in his hand and then he moved towards the pillow to set it afire. It just didn't set fire to itself. He's taken that action. He's understood what he's doing. And sometimes you need it simplified to that point that honor killings are happening for a really irrelevant reason it's not something that can be justified by any means or shape or form because there's an absolute inhumanity towards the people that are being killed 
and it's more so girls than boys and it's something has to be changed something has to happen and as i said we'll start with awareness we'll start with breaking the silence yeah and i mean i'm happy happy to help in breaking that silence with you um but yeah it, like when you say it that way too of like they actively like lit it and walked to like in my mind like I'm I'm thinking of when I go to sleep by my partner every night, that would literally be me like doing that, you know, that popped into my mind and it's, it's fucking horrifying to think about that. Somebody yeah. has that in them in a relationship that you're supposedly cared about, you know, in these mar you know, in a marriage you're supposedly cared about. Yeah. Kind of I mean, unfortunately he's not here to defend himself, but the answer that was given when I did ask why was he said he wanted to end it all, but he wasn't ending his own life. It was mine. And the murder attempts were always on me. And his child included was the last one. It was never to himself. But you know, when you're in a situation, you don't understand that and you don't see that. And again, with the honor killings, if you're so worried about what people are thinking about you and the shame it's bringing upon your family, why are you not hurting yourself and taking yourself out of the equation instead of a poor, innocent child who is often in their teens or right. unable to support themselves or look after themselves or know what they're doing right or wrong? Why are you not taking that anguish that's causing you so much pain that you may be looked at society badly and that your honor is being tainted, that you take yourself out of the equation. There's no answer for that. Right. It's you, just, yeah, they justify it. Yeah, it's, it, that. yeah, that it just makes absolutely no sense to me of, yeah, like there's so much shame on me, so I'm going to kill this person and a child, and then I still am living, and then I, ha you know, like I don't, it doesn't, the steps forward past it also don't make sense to me as a person who wouldn't want to do that to somebody. And it's not just the person doing it, it's the people that are around them. Right. My father came out of prison recently. He went straight back to live with my mother who accepted him with open arms. Mm. Apart from that, society accepted him. So we can walk into our temple and be looked at with respect. And yet he's openly done what he's done. But if I was to go, they will actually tell me I'm not allowed to go into a place of God hmm. because I've stepped out of the circle. Bam. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, literally no sense whatsoever. You see, I can only use my example because I'm not, this is something I've lived through. Sure. I know other people's stories, but they are their stories to tell. And as I keep saying, Nick, it's not about me. It's about the person that needs to hear it. Maybe it's somebody that's in a relationship that's really hurting and knows they're in a wrong relationship, but they don't know how to get out. Or maybe it's that person that fears her father and goes to school and fears her father so she can reach out to a teacher and tell them that I'm so scared of my father because he's wanting to do this or he's wanting me to have an arranged marriage or 
just to explain, to have that choice to understand that they can talk, they can do it, that somebody will help them, somebody along the lines is going to protect them because children should be protected. But then as all individuals, as humans, whether we're female, male, young, old, we deserve the basics of equality to live as, yeah. as, as a basic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I 100% with that of you need to know that people are out there that that care and that will take care of you um even even when you're in that kind of a horrific situation um how is your relationship with your children so uh, my daughter's she's just turned 27 she has just become a dentist which is great she's had a real struggle getting there i'm not going to lie she's she's biomedical scientist as well um, she didn't enjoy that, so she you know, persevered to get to where she is now. My relationship's amazing with her. She felt a lot of guilt when I was homeless because she couldn't offer me a place to stay. And it's difficult for them knowing that their mother, that their brother has nowhere to go. Um, my son, one of them, the middle son, was sent to boarding school, unfortunately, because his father for no reason, turned his violent hands upon him. And I protected him the best way I could, which was to send him to a boarding school, which meant that I was working more jobs to pay for that. But you do what you knows best, you know, at that time, whoever you are, whether you're doing making a decision for a child or yourself, you do what you think is best at the time. And I, I'll stand by the fact that I protected him and sent him, but he again, suffered a lot from depression because he felt guilty because sure. he's living in this amazing luxury boarding school and his brother's homeless with no clothes no food and and really really struggling so my relationship's good with myself well it's, it's more than good we have a very close bond i'm working on my relationship with my youngest one partly that is because of my own guilt mm. because i didn't think about planning ahead and saving money and putting money aside so that we wouldn't be in a situation where we had no food and that we were cold and we didn't have any blankets you know the basics of that you would normally just take for granted in your own home so I'm still struggling with guilt Um, I feel like I let him down I know that deep down he's a little bit resentful because of a situation that was caused or maybe he's angry within himself, I'm not sure, but I'm working on that relationship. He's got his own traumas. As I said, he suffers from an illness and he's a strong boy and he took it upon himself to protect me as well, which is why he stood out. And my love for my children is immeasurable as most mothers will love their children. And I, I am still very motivated to get to where I want to be because of them. You know, I'm, I have a a home that I'm renting, but I aim to buy a house and I will buy it this year. You know, I'm being really positive and putting it into the universe and working towards it. So if I can get a home for them, it's not about being pretentious or it's just having that security, that security that they've got. It's not about money really anymore with me. It's more about 
being able to give them the things they need, which is just a safe place, which is something they've never had. But my relationship's good. I've, they're very strong. They, they are learning from me to take those painful times and use them effectively to help somebody else, that they have a higher calling, as I want to call it, um, yeah. they're, need, they're needed in their own ways and they can reach other people because they have a different perspective of what's happened. They have a different insight. So they have different tools which they can use that they use to cope that they can then extend to somebody else, which will enable them to live a better life. We are all involved with um, non-profits here. We, we try to give back as much as we can. I make it a point just to walk the streets and talk to people that are homeless because I may not have any money to give to them, but I can smile at them, which is a huge thing. Yeah, I can just speak to them because you never know what someone's story is. And, and there are a lot of interesting people, as you know, on Clubhouse, there's a lot of interesting people on the streets too. Totally. And just to give them the time is, I think, one of the biggest things. So we, we do aim at doing that. My daughter's always bringing free samples of little toothpaste that I take to the local oh. place here and... Uh, now we're not allowed to give warm food out because of this pandemic, but I sure. still make an effort to just make sure if I've got any spare jumpers or if I can collect enough from the neighbourhood, I, I take them over. So we're all working together like that. We're doing the little bits that we can do, but the little things turn, like you said, into bigger things. And there's a domino effect, which is what we're aiming for. Man, and yeah, I I, I just love that out of that story, which is just beyond heartbreaking of, of the way that you have been treated through your whole life by people who are supposed to be there to protect you, like your family and your partner through life. Um, but that it's brought a, 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 a really big strength and resilience in you and your children and that you are giving it back because I, you know that just shows a lot about somebody when you when you go through just a world you know your whole life is is just been dealing with this and then you you bring it back to give back to the the person on the street you know because truly like feeling human is is immeasurable like when you feel, you know, after you've been through all this, when you were treated not even close to human by these people to finally feel human, you know, and then giving that back to these people in, in your community that are on the street, just to, to say hello, to bring them, you know, any goods you can and, and just talk to them. And like you said, everyone, everyone does have stories everybody wants to yeah. be seen and heard and loved no matter who they are let me ask you nick yeah. if you if you know somebody that comes to you and says nick i've really been struggling with alcohol abuse how would you how would you feel about that person would you be empathetic how would you feel oh absolutely yeah you see when you've gone through something yourself you don't want someone else to go through it Right. There's no way you want you want to spare somebody's pain. So that's where I'm at. And I think I've realized that none of this is about me. 
I've just made history. I'm going to America to, I'm coming to America, I should say, because that's where you are, to represent my country. For the first time, they've been chosen to speak on the stage in Detroit. And I'm more excited about getting the message across. And I'm, I'm so excited about being able to have the opportunity to speak to a large audience. And I'm hoping people buy the tickets and maybe they'll look at my Instagram and my link tree and click on the ticket and buy one. Um, but I'm wanting people to understand that by me being there, I'm holding a presence for all the people that are unable to speak for themselves. So I'm, I'm not just me, I'm them. Yeah. And that for me is a privilege. Not that I've made history, although that's lovely to know. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> but it's but it's a privilege to be somebody else's voice that is unable to speak. The person that's unable to cry for help. The person that's ignored and told they're not good enough or whatever they're told that's negative, to be able to be speaking for them. It feels magical. It feels so warm inside. I can't describe it, but I'm so excited, so excited that I'm going to be able to do this for them. And I know, I know that I will reach people. I, I have this vision. I have this clarity that my voice will be heard, that they will find hope, that they will say, look, she's done it. I've got what she's got, you know, I can do it. If she can, if she can go through all of those things, then I can go through what I'm going through too. And I don't down anybody's pain or say, hey, my story's worse than yours, because there are far more stories worse than mine. Believe me, I've heard them on Clubhouse and I, I don't know how people, you know, have actually still going. But sure. my point is that whether you've lost a job, whether you've lost a friend, whether you've lost a parent or lost a house, a loss is a loss. Yeah. You still feel that and we're not we're not able to judge somebody else's feelings because I don't I don't the people that say I know how you feel they don't right. and I'm sorry I'm gonna say this and I'm I'm outspoken I'm very direct but they don't know how you feel only you know how you feel they may be able to comprehend some of your feelings but only you know how you feel but sometimes there's a similarity and that's where I'm at I might have a similarity in my narrative that resonates with you, Nick, or resonates with somebody in the audience. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm coming for, you know, that's where I'm coming from rather not coming for, <laughs> I'm coming for a voice that I want to share. I'm coming for hope to give hope, um, ultimately to free people of the prison that they've created for themselves unknowingly. Yeah. And I love how, you put it to you know bring it all the way around to everyone's struggles because everyone does have struggles they might not be what you've been through but that doesn't belittle that they have had loss that they do have totally. struggles you know totally it, it you know it it is everybody's own feelings with it and how they deal with it and so in that you you said the word hope a lot, so um, I'd like to ask that everyone uh, on these. Uh, what what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Wow, so that's a huge question. Hmm. Okay, so the fact that I've survived so many 
bad traumas and I'm still alive when I know I most definitely shouldn't be. There's, I've escaped death numerous times and there's a reason. There's definitely a reason and the reason's bigger than, like, as I said, me just being here. I went into one of the rooms in Clubhouse the other day and I didn't know what I was walking into, <laughs> but they were talking about energy and how this lady was talking about how she picks up on people's energy and someone had pinged me and I respectfully went in not knowing what I was walking into, as I said, but I do believe in energy and I do believe that we all have our purpose and that's maybe where the hope's coming in. And she told me that I have a gift that people feel at ease with me and are able to tell me their pain and trauma because I allow that. So I'm almost like a vessel, which a lot of us are unknowingly. And that gave me a lot of hope. I know my purpose and my purpose gives me hope. I would love to help even a handful of people, which I've done on Clubhouse. So I know that the signs are always there to say, you're on the right track, keep going. They give me hope, those little signs. So I think there's definitely hope that's being around me. It's always being shown to me and I cling on to that because if we give up on hope, what are we left with? Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, you give me hope, you know, hearing your story and hearing everything that you have overcome in your life and, and the the beauty and the empowerment that you are, you're standing to give to, to people in the world that gives me hope, you know, that, that there's amazing humans out there that have experienced what they've experienced and they're using that to, to help, you know, to give a voice to the people that don't have the voice or just give the hope out by, by sharing your story and telling telling the world about you know what what is happening all over the world you know so i you truly give me hope i i thank you so I much really that's, that's, that's a lovely thing you've thank blessed you. me by telling me your story and you know my listeners and anybody that hears this like that there has you know there's no way that they they won't feel hope in this of man i I can get through my struggles. They are my struggles. They are mine, but th this gives we, me hope to move. We all have challenges and you gave me hope, Nick, because I reached out to 20 people that day. I, I ask everybody, I, every day I'm asking, can I be, today I asked, I'm always asking. I say, if you don't ask, you don't get. That's right. one of my sayings to my children. But you gave me hope when you said, sure. and. I got days wrong, so your listeners don't know this, but I don't always get it right. I got the days wrong being in England. I thought, oh, no, it's not today, it's tomorrow. And Nick allowed me then still to come on the show, which I really am respectful for, so you gave me hope. So within humanity, we find hope, and if I find hope within you, you find it within me. Maybe that's a catalyst that we can pass on. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I that's that's what I, that is my hope with, with this podcast this episode obviously but in general is just to give hope 
to the world get show show stories from from massively different people every every time and just say beautifully human doesn't mean that we're out, all outwardly the most gorgeous people in the world it means that we are beautifully human and that means we're broken that means we we come bringing the shit that we have from our lives that's been put exactly. on us you know and that that is why we are beautifully human and there is yeah. power and there's hope when people yeah. combine and they can share stories and have beautiful conversations for for the people that aren't having these conversations yeah completely right my my motto has been dare to dream and i would say to anybody listening that if i dare to dream then i dare you to dream because without dreams nothing's going to ever change and they deserve, you know, everyone that's listening deserves whatever they want from life. They deserve it. They're deserving of a great life, of a happy life, of love. Everyone deserves that. Yeah. Um, so I ask everybody this on, on the podcast as well. And um, you have shared a lot about yourself. But what would you want the world to know about you? I, I would love the world to know that, as I just said, I'm, I am the girl that dare to dream. I see myself now as a triple threat. <laughs> I'm a life coach. I'm an author. I'm a public speaker. And I feel that I'm just on a, on the starting ring, rung, is it called? A ladder. Yeah. I'm at the, I'm at yeah. the bottom <laughs> of the ladder. But now I'm going to be climbing it and nothing's going to stop me. I have become an unstoppable force that's, as we British say, has a bee in her bonnet. <laughs> yeah. But for the, for the fight, for those who can't fight, for the ones who have yet to find, as we keep saying, hope, for the ones who don't know that they're allowed to even dream, that are imprisoned in the restrictive cocoons that have been created around them that they need to come out of and flourish and I've I am so passionate that every day I will reach out to people to try and get my message across so that something can change in this world because the world is actually a very beautiful place once you start to live in it and not exist yeah wow amazing that's so beautiful um where can people find you? Where can they reach out to you? Because I know that is something that I am sure you are very open for as people Definitely. reaching out and yes, connecting. Thank you. Definitely. So anybody who wants to connect me can find me on Instagram. It's Nina, N-I-N-A underscore the Brit. Original name, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, my website is my name, which is N-I-N-A and then my surname, all one word, A-O-U-I-L-K dot com. My Facebook is just Nina Nina. I don't know how many of them are there, but you'll see my smiling face, I'm sure. <laughs> and um, maybe through you, they can come to you and maybe you can redirect them to me. Absolutely. Yeah, I will link yeah. everything up. And, and I do have an article in the New York Times, no, New York 
weekly sorry excuse me i'm british so i can't tell the difference <laughs> between papers uh, yeah the new york times is coming <laughs> yes the new york the new york weekly and i'm also in the ceo magazine but i think actually if you type in my name it comes up because it's such an unusual surname so yeah yeah well, that is amazing and i mean i i just thank you so much for being so vulnerable and so open and having That's this good. discussion with me and i've I've been looking forward to chatting with you since we connected. So I, I appreciate, you, so you know, just you actually go, you, you grew oh, that sorry. anticipation by an extra day. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Just before I go, I will say that my I have I've written a book called Master Your Life, Live the Life of Your Dreams. It's being published at the moment, but it will be on Amazon. Oh. And it's a self-help book about all aspects of life and how to change your life. And I believe it will be life changing to those who read it. Beautiful. Oh, I love that so much. I love everything you're up to. I think it's just brilliant. And I just, I just feel it coming off of you. I feel your energy. I feel the love that you're putting out in this world. And thank I, you. I, just, I, I thank, I thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your night. I know it's very late for you there. <laughs> it's actually my birthday. Just turned my birthday here. Happy birthday. That's amazing. Fantastic. Happy birthday to me. Yeah. Any fun plans for your birthday? I'm just going to be happy and be present in yeah. the moment and enjoy it. Beautiful. Well, happy birthday. And yeah, I will. I, I know we'll connect again. But Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank yeah. you for your opportunity and thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to the Beautifully Human podcast. To hear more beautiful stories from beautiful humans, follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at the Beautifully Human Podcast. Peace signs up.